Blue Wire. The Detroit Pistons select Sekou Dubuya. The boy gets run off the line. Down the lane, my goodness. Look at that. Pistons come right back at him with a bruise. Oh, oh, oh. Jam. Dishes to Luke for the long gun. It goes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Pistons versus Everybody, the Detroit Pistons podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson, and tonight I am joined by Matt S-C-H-O-C-H of Locked On Pistons, the Detroit News and the Associated Press. What's up, Matt? What's going on, Laz? First time, long time. Or is I guess not first time, like more, more like third, second or third time, long time, I guess. It's it's the first time on the new one. Oh, right? that's right. That's right. The, day, the, the maiden voyage for me here. <laughs> Wait, so how long have you been doing Locked On Pistons? pistons now so this is probably about two and a half years in i remember i started right at the beginning of a season and i want to say that that was yeah two full seasons and then one half season but maybe some days it feels like more than that but yeah i i think about you as a guy who does like a lot of podcasts sometimes i do one podcast all the time so it's just like we've got it all cornered between us but uh, we're surrounding pistons fans between us i think you you are definitely like the the bread. No, no, I'm the bread that goes around like your peanut butter and jelly, okay, right? Like okay. you are the like the middle and the consistency of it all. I and I'm like just it. like the nice fluffy like ends that people like enjoy it. on the weekends. Yeah, I like <laughs> I like the. I think that was a compliment. I'm not sure, but uh, we'll take that's it anyway. Totally, that's totally a compliment. <laughs> okay, for sure. Yeah, hopefully, <laughs> and and I think and I listen to you guys. I listen to both your podcasts pretty much all the time, and you know it's I feel like you can do both like you can get my day-to-day minutiae and we'll go off the wall sometimes you guys give more of a a big picture view so I've always said this I think there's room for the whole the whole crew and uh, I appreciate you guys and uh, and all the insight you guys give of course no and and we appreciate you obviously because you know I literally cannot do the day-to-day minutiae because I am not in Detroit I am not going to games like I'm not in the locker room with guys And so like having that perspective, which again, I am like literally unable to access is extremely valuable to me and like what I do. So like, yeah, of course, like we love you and we listen to you all the time. For sure. For sure. Good times. And there's just so much Pistons content to go around. How could, uh, how could there be too many Pistons podcasts at this point? Just as you know, so much going on in Detroit right now, starting with the, the Reggie Jackson buyout. Sure. Uh, He's Gone to the Clippers. Or yeah, I'm not sure if he's actually cleared waivers yet, but he's going to the Clippers. He gave back eight hundred thousand dollars to leave the Pistons. Matt, what what does this mean for Detroit in your mind? Yeah, it, it frees up the roster spot. I think that's the most important thing. The eight hundred thousand dollars. I think that's just the prorated uh, you know, veteran minimum that he could have gotten. So that's pretty much a standard buyout. It's not like anything unusual about that obviously it's more you know we could talk about the roster spot we could talk about what the replacement could be and these are things that could matter to this team and certainly will in the short term and maybe in the long term who knows but I think the most important thing that people are talking about and thinking about with Reggie Jackson is looking back at the the five and a half years and kind of taking an inventory of it and you know obviously with the team and the injuries and the lack of success that the team has had coupled with the promise of the 2016 getting to the playoffs for the first time in a long time, the sweep from the Cleveland Cavaliers, which was a a competitive series in a couple of the games. So I think that, you know, it's a disappointment and obviously not all Reggie Jackson's fault, given all the injuries and things that he's dealt with. 
So it's it's kind of a mixed emotions type of thing. And then, of course, you throw that on the Andre Drummond trade from a couple weeks back. And it's it's kind of a, a time for reflection and also maybe a time to kind of wash your hands a little bit of the past and uh, and kind of think about uh, pretty much exclusively about the future at this point. It, it does feel a little weird to have such a long period of reflection over a period of basketball that like wasn't that good when you think about it. But at the same time, like we were so optimistic in 2016 because we had finally like locked in a long-term point guard and long-term center. The, these two guys were going to lead us to not necessarily the promised land, but like continued playoff success which again is all the owner has ever been after. And then it just never materialized. Injuries came up, uh, roster construction issues, uh, you know, drafting the wrong individuals. They never could quite build on top of that core that they, uh, that they established in 2015. And so like, yeah, we, we are reflecting a little bit, but like I, I, I said this earlier is like, you know, I just got done like doing my whole period of reflection over Andre. It's like, I really can't do that twice in one season we'll go back during the off season and maybe reflect a little bit more about what Reggie did and didn't mean for this team but I do want to look to the future I do want to talk about the empty roster spot we got some quotes interestingly enough from Dwayne Casey during practice today about how the team isn't necessarily going to look to fill that spot uh, immediately with one of the two-way guys they said they might cycle through some 10-day contracts uh, and then make a decision after that Uh, Matt is that the correct move in your mind yeah, it kind of makes sense now that I think about it. Obviously, with Reggie Jackson being gone, you presume that there might be some point guard minutes, kind of depending on what uh, where Brandon Knight fits into the equation for the rest of the year. Of course, Derrick Rose certainly isn't going to be playing night in and night out, I would think. So there, the natural inclination for me was that it would be Jordan Bone. I don't know where they're at in terms of the 45 days. Keep in mind that for the Lewis King and uh, Jordan Bone two-way contracts, it's not just 45 games, it's 45 days. So if you're up with the NBA team in a practice that counts against it. And as far as I know, there hasn't been any of the beat guys that have reported about how many days are left. I've reached out to the Pistons to find out about it. Haven't heard back about that. So I, you know, I'm sure they got the clock going of of how many days they have left, but, but like now that you think about it, getting a 10 day deal out there, and I would hope that it would be, uh, you know, a younger player, possibly someone from the G league. As we know, the two way guys are obviously, uh, property of their respective NBA teams, but everyone else out there in the G League can sign with any NBA team at any time. So for those of you who have been clamoring for Dante Hall, and rightfully so in a lot of ways, other teams aren't picking him, in right, him up right now either. So it's not like the Pistons are, are really missing out right now. Ultimately, they could miss out if they continue to, to not bring him into the fold, but he's out there for other teams as well. So I would presume that maybe they do that and go out and get uh, some sort of G League guy from either the, the the drive or other teams out there use that spot for a ten day, and then after that, you know, if guys cycle through, if they don't like what they see out of someone, they can always just move Lewis King or Jordan Bone up, give them the roster spot, and convert them. But what they can't do is backfill with another two way guy. I've seen a lot of some of the guys reporting this, and some of the Twitter folks that oh, just promote Jordan Bone and then backfill Dante Hall with a two way spot. Well, you can't do that. The deadline has passed on the two-way players. So that's kind of the 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 bones of what they could do, kind of the choices that they have out there. And uh, it kind of makes a lot of sense to bring maybe a new player completely into the fold, especially if he's young, and then kind of use Bone and King as kind of the backup plan in that situation. 
No, yeah, I I get what they're I get where that's coming from. Like especially from a, a, the perspective where they have not used up all forty five days yet, and so it it uh, from an like asset allocation perspective, it doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense to to wipe out the slate on those forty five days uh, moving forward. The Dante Hall is interesting, like because he's not on a two way, he could fill that roster spot. You could kind of play with the days a little bit and uh, rotate all three of those guys continuously until the end of the season and give Hall kind of a full, uh, a more full look than he's already gotten. But, uh, you know, there are guys ahead of him in the rotation for Bigman, right? Like the team kept Markeith Morris. The, the, they continue to play Christian Wood and Thon Maker together. And so, uh, you know, Seku has played like a, a number of minutes at the four. And so it's not immediately clear to me that like even if Dante Hall were brought up to the team, he would be in the rotation. Whereas like Jordan Bone, it's like since they just you know cleared out an, an entire point guard, it makes a lot of, his his path to playing time makes a lot more sense to me. If that makes sense. Yeah, and I'll add about Dante Hall. It, it seems like we've gotten a little bit of a pattern here with the Grand Rapids Drive big men, right? Haven't we? We had Landry Noko who one defensive player of the year in the G league and everyone was talking about, Oh, bring him up, bring him up. And then Johnny Hamilton. And I was one of the ones kind of uh, driving the Johnny Hamilton bus. So I'm kind of the, the guilty party here, but we always talked about bring him up, bring him up. Well, those guys are over in Europe now and, and not really doing all that much with the, in terms of the NBA uh, you know, potential that they possibly could have had. So with Dante Hall out there, yeah, we're all kind of intrigued with the athleticism and certainly he's a guy who might have a great future and who knows, but it's not like it's the slam dunk kind of thing that the Pistons are definitely going to mess up on because, you know, we've seen it in the past that these guys kind of cycle through. And that's basically what the G League is now at this point. Yeah, bigs especially. Bigs are, as a lot of people like to say, bigs are fungible. They're easily replaceable. And so, you know, we we enjoy the you know stylings of, Don, of Dante Hall so far this year. But, like, that doesn't mean we couldn't find another guy just as ready uh, elsewhere in the B, in the G League. To, to play those minutes you know he is a little undersized to be mm-hmm. like a little unfair to him and so like there there are reasons not to immediately fill that spot uh, for with him uh the other thing i guess is so lewis king has like i think out of the guys that we've seen play on the two ways so far this year lewis king has seemed to have the most favor with the coaching staff he's gotten the most uh, extended minutes and and played. I don't want to say well, but he hasn't looked as uh, out of place on an NBA court as Jordan Bone has at times uh, during the season. And so, and the Pistons need more size on the wing. That's one thing I've clamored about for years. Uh, they continue to play a bunch of six five guys. Like the, <laughs> they ran out a lineup of like uh, Langston. Brandon Knight and Bruce and it's like what like can we just play some six seven dudes like please at all um but yeah so what are your and what are your impressions of Lewis King's chance to fill that spot despite the fact that the Pistons have lost a, a point guard not a wing yeah I think it's possible I mean certainly you can throw Brandon Knight out there for minutes and, and Derek Rose seems to have the restrictions coming off and, and Bruce Brown's gonna I would think see some more minutes at point guard and like you said kind of maybe rotating the two-way guys and getting Jordan Bowen out there too. So it doesn't necessarily mean you have to have uh, the, the point guard take that that full spot. And like you said, Lewis King 
fits what the Pistons need. I mean, we know that Seku was a pick with kind of that stuff in mind, but that's obviously a guy who's years away from being the the player that we all kind of hope he becomes here in Pistons land. So the opportunity that presents itself with Lewis King, and, and you could sit down some guys that play the the even the two, three, four positions that uh, you know they kind of run together in the NBA in some ways. So some of those veterans you don't you probably don't care when you get mathematically eliminated from the playoffs or pretty much at this point where they're basically out of the playoff conversation. You could sit down guys like Markeith Morris and Langston Galloway, like you said. So those guys can sit down a little bit, and I would certainly see uh, no reason why Lewis King can't get some real minutes going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I will say, though, like we had some interesting comments from Dwayne Casey uh, in practice today about like where the team was headed from a, a ball handling perspective, right? They said he mentioned that they were thinking of Bruce less as a point guard and more as an off guard. I think uh, he said they wanted to go more him at two versus one. And again, like this has been Dwayne Casey's thing. He said uh, he wants guys to earn playing time and Jordan Bone hasn't necessarily done that apparently. And so he talked a little bit about starting Brandon Knight at point guard and setting other guys up to succeed. Uh, Matt, it, what's the what's the marginal value of, you know, having a guy like Brandon Knight out there starting to set up a guy like a Sfi or a guy like a Seku a little bit perhaps better than a Bruce, a Bruce Brown or a Jordan Bone versus, you know, starting a Jordan Bone or a Bruce Brown and and seeing how those guys progress as individuals, like with the ball in their hands. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an interesting question because, like you said, Bruce Brown, you want to develop his ball handling. You want to develop the fact that he can be on the ball and run some pick and roll and do all those things, drive and work on his finishing, all the things that you want to see in terms of his development. But it makes a lot of sense to me to put a Brandon Knight type out there. And I know that uh, Brandon Knight doesn't have a future with the Pistons in any meaningful way. I mean, he could maybe be a candidate to take over that Tim Frazier third point guard spot next year. And that's really not uh, hopefully a big deal for the future of this franchise. But yeah, I think there's some validity to uh, Bruce Brown getting the work at the two. I understand it. But I think that, you know, in positionless basketball and looking at the modern NBA, if he's playing the two, uh, in theory, you want to have Bruce Brown being able to do things with the ball in his hands three, four years down the road. I mean, he's not going to just stand in the corner and shoot three-pointers. So, And I wonder about that, too. I mean, with the Pistons having, obviously, a huge question mark going forward at the point guard position, probably the biggest need, especially when you let um, Reggie Jackson go and, and Derrick Rose isn't certainly a long-term answer for that, that is there a way to kind of uh, be – a team, especially when you look at the fact that Bruce Brown's going to be on the court, presumably going forward, Luke Kennard's going to be on the floor, presumably going forward with this team. You have some guys that can do some things and, and should be able to do some things with the ball in your hands. Do you need that traditional point guard, especially that we've sat here in Pistons land, watching Reggie Jackson, watching Ish Smith, watching Derrick Rose, guys that can do a lot of good things offensively when they're healthy, but struggle defensively against other teams' top point guards. Is that kind of a sign that maybe the Pistons need to be thinking a little bit differently about the point guard position, or do you just find one of those point guards in the draft that can play two ways and not be a minus defensively like those guys have been? I think that's kind of maybe the bigger uh, theoretical, philosophical question that the Pistons need to be asking themselves this offseason. We're now going to take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor, Bet Online. 
BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all things sports. You know, March Madness, the Masters, and Major League Opening Day are right around the corner, and BetOnline has you covered for all your latest news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. And when you sign up, you receive a 50% welcome bonus. The Wilder Fury rematch goes down this Saturday night, and I can't think of a better way to wager on the fight than doing it with actual free money. You head over to betonline.ag, you use our promo code BLUEWIRE, you get your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. We signed up, it's super easy, you're already into betting, it's a fantastic way to support this podcast. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, when you sign up at betonline.ag. BetOnline is your online sportsbook experts. Yeah, you you hit on what I think this means for the for the Pistons moving forward. I think it means that they're looking at a point guard in this year's draft and they want to be able to play a Bruce Brown or like a Luke Kennard alongside that guy for the long term. And so they are, you know, preparing and grooming Bruce and Luke uh to be able to do so. You know, uh that guy is not on the team yet. And so uh it doesn't necessarily make that much sense to me, given like there's only 25 games left in the season. But I do understand like the the desire to see what Bruce especially has off ball, uh, because he Bruce is shown to be like really effective with the ball. He's shown to be more effective with the ball in his hands than without it. But uh, without the ball in his hands, he's been a really limited offensive player. And so if you're going to draft one of these point guards, we're going to talk about in a little bit. Uh, and you still want Bruce's defense and effort and like rebounding even on the floor, it's not it's not going to be at the cost of whoever you're going to take it, like, you know, six or seven in this year's draft. And so you, you need to see on that end. Yeah, and you know what else I think is interesting when thinking about the rebuild and thinking about the Pistons is that if you look at this draft, and we talked about last year's draft, and Sekou uh, slipped to 15, I think that worked out pretty good for the Pistons, but... I think that was a good thing because they were looking for that wing in last year's draft. And there, it wasn't a great draft. Obviously, it's Zion and Ja at the top, and everyone knew those guys would be good. And they've uh, shown that they're potential you know, future stars and all that kind of stuff going forward. But then there, were, there was a, lo- a good amount of wings. If you looked up and down the draft, you know, none of them were great players, but there was some experienced wings. There were some guys that could shoot it. There were some guys that were raw with potential like Sekou. So you had kind of your pick. This year, there's like no wings out there, but there are a lot of point guards. So in that respect, the things that have been what the Pistons have been looking for have worked out in these two drafts. Now, questions as to whether this is the right year to be uh, hopefully a a very high lottery pick, which the Pistons look like they're going to be uh, as opposed to last year, or whether this is the good year to have that cap space, whether you want to take on some bad money in trades, whether this is the right year to have that cap space as opposed to a year before or maybe next year uh, instead of that. Those are questions that will remain to be seen as far as what the Pistons do in the offseason. But as far as their targets and what's available in the draft, I think that's worked out pretty good for them. No, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, And what helps in that regard was that uh, the teams ahead of where the Pistons were last year were also looking for wings but they were looking in the wrong direction or they were looking at different players. Let's, let's say you had like Washington taking Rui Hachimura. You had, you know, a Phoenix taking a Cam Johnson, right? That those are the picks that enable the Seku Dumboya to fall to you this year. It looks like if the Pistons identify point guard 
as an area of need, they are going to have uh, they're going to have options at their slot, but their slot, you know, we haven't done the lottery yet. We don't know exactly where the Pistons are going to draft, but if, you know, the odds hold as they should, the, the Pistons will have their uh, a relative choice of like two or three guys going into it um, that makes sense for them long-term at that point guard spot. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, do you want to get into it? I mean, who do you, who do you, yeah, yeah, who no. do you like? I, I think I've seen that you're kind of a, a Killian Hayes guy, if, I'm, if I've seen correctly, correct? I, I am a Killian Hayes guy. And one, one thing that I've noticed, so I've been going through the mocks, mm-hmm. right? The mocks are how I, I try and process and, and game theory this out. Um, I've got, you know, Bleacher Report, Jonathan, Wather, Jonathan Wasserman's mock had Killian Hayes going to the Pistons at seven. Mm-hmm. Sam Bassini at the Athletic had Killian Hayes uh, to the Pistons at seven. Uh, Jeremy Wu at Sports Illustrated had Tyrese Halliburton. I believe he had uh, Killian Hayes already off the board. Uh, Jonathan Gavoni of ESPN had Anyeka Akungwu. That's a surprise. A big man. Mm-hmm. Uh, taken by the Pistons at seven. Uh, and then Ricky O'Donnell at SB Nation all the way back in January. So they haven't updated their draft mock in a little bit. Get on that, guys. <laughs> at the Pistons taking Cole Anthony at, at eight. And so you do see the theme running through all this is that uh, the Pistons taking guards in most of these mocks. Um, I like Killian Hayes not only because uh, I'm a guy who likes tall point guards, but because I believe he right now he's the best passer in the draft. And that's something I think the Pistons have been sorely – um, missing even even from their current point guard play that's been one of my big frustrations with Derek Rose is that he hasn't done a great job of making guys that aren't directly involved in the play with him better all of the time uh, this season and so having a guy who's an elite passer who can make those those cross-court passers uh, to the to the corners when guys collapse and out of pick and roll a guy who passes other individuals open thus making uh, your role men look better than they even are. That would be helpful in the case of like a Thon Maker or a Donta Hall, probably. And in terms of development, making them look better than they actually are. And he's got the height and and the defensive inclination um, to to be an effective defender uh, at the NBA level, which is something that you can't say for all of the other guys at, at the top or all the other point guards, I guess, at the top of this year's draft. So that, yeah. that's why I'm a Killian Hayes guy. Yeah. You, you love the size. Like you said, you love the feel, you love the way that he, 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 he play, makes plays offensively on the court. You love the ability to, to get out there effort wise. You like the fact that he's, his age is great when he's still 18 right now, still playing at a, a nice level league in Germany. That's a good thing. And he's a Frenchman too, right? So him and Seku could be buddies. I know we've talked, you guys have talked about that too, but production at 18 years old in a pretty good European league. He's not playing in Euro League, I, I believe. I think he's in Euro yeah, Cup. He's in the, or Euro Cup, yeah. I yeah, believe, Euro so. Cup. Like it's it's like in, in soccer where you got the Champions League and then below that. And then you're also playing in your, your German top league too. So it's kind of simultaneously happening. So they're in Euro Cup and then whatever the top uh, German league. I don't know if it's Bundesliga, if they call it there over there or not for uh for basketball but um and it's it's funny because we're all kind of trying to cram on european basketball we probably should have done it a long time ago when the darko milicics of the world are out but uh you know everyone kind of soured on the european prospects for a while but now obviously everyone's back so uh yeah killian is showing a lot of things the shooting isn't great the turnovers um at times uh you know maybe you're a little high but that's an 18 year old point guard uh, kind of learning things on the fly so yeah not a lot to not like and uh, and the other thing about I think you know 
it's kind of reached a consensus as far as some of these lottery guys. You see Edwards and Wiseman and, and LaMelo, LaMelo, LaMelo Ball kind of being the top three guy in some kind of order in a lot of these mocks. But with this draft, I don't have a problem with people moving some of their favorites uh, from that second tier into that first tier. Um, I respect the guys that are out there that have a, a little bit more of a different mock draft than maybe the consensus. Obviously, some people go with uh, what they're hearing from teams with a lot of what they do with the mock draft. But if there's an analyst out there that has it shuffled up a little bit, has like a Cole Anthony high for whatever reason, or a Halliburton or whoever they have, uh, I respect that. So especially this early on when you could kind of change your opinions as time goes on. And uh, yeah, it's nice to see. So I, I, yeah, I like Kelly and Hayes just like you do. Um, I like Halliburton a little bit less, but uh, and, and I actually like those guys more than I like LaMelo Ball. And I talked about this on the show at the end of last week uh, a little bit, but uh, man, Wiseman, even Anthony Edwards, LaMelo Ball, I kind of like the the five to 10 range a little bit more than I like the one through three, especially given the fact that you got to pay those guys a little bit higher on the rookie salary structure. So, uh, you know, obviously it's a bit more valuable asset to have that pick in the top four, and you could still take whoever you want, obviously, uh, as far as what your scouts tell you to do. But man, uh, LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, sure, there's probably a little bit better of a ceiling with some of those guys. I'm not a James Wiseman guy at all, by the way, but uh, the floor might be a little bit lower. And uh, that's kind of another philosophical question for the Pistons to grapple with. You like the star power. You want the guys that could be potential all-stars, and maybe Killian Hayes is the type of player who could be that. But uh, do you want to take a wild swing and get you know a guy like Anthony Edwards who could, as he matures, he hasn't played a lot of basketball in his life. He was a football player coming up. And LaMelo Ball, who obviously has some Q ratings, some star power there. Some, he's going to be comfortable on the NBA stage right away. Uh, there's some appeal to those guys as well. So that's another maybe question you have to wrestle with if the Pistons are lucky enough to to ask themselves that kind of question if they strike gold in the lottery. The I'm a part of the uh, the Chase Down Discord. And so, like, you know, the Cleveland Cavaliers, they have also not had the most successful year. And so they're also kind of thinking about who they want to draft and how it fits with they with their core. And since they already have their alleged like backcourt of the future, they are not necessarily like looking at any of the other point guards that are in this draft. Yeah, you never but know. Keep... Maybe they go and draft a, a third one in your, in a row for the third straight year. Why not? Anything's, anything's possible. It seems yeah. like things are pretty chaotic over there. Yeah, they the don't know what's going on. They don't know what's going on in Cleveland. <laughs> but I've been teasing them because like I am also not a big Wiseman fan. But I can easily see Wiseman them talking themselves into Wiseman as a guy who's going to help their other draft picks develop Sim- in the in <laughs> the same vein as yeah in the same vein as like picking up an Andre Drummond right mm-hmm. to help your to help your guards along and uh and they're like no no don't put that evil on me Ricky Bobby <laughs> but you're, but you're right in that it might be beneficial this year specifically not to have the you know the second or third pick just so other teams maybe get pressured into making a decision or they they're seeing things in a in a guy like a Wiseman that you're not necessarily seeing. And so, you know, you you get that cleared out in front of you a little bit. I, I have thought about like that. And that's why I enjoy the mock drafts, right? That's why I enjoy the kind of like the, the game theory mm-hmm. of it all, because you, you can't take a guy if he's already taken, but it, it opens up a lot of uh, different avenues and options for you. Uh, the other thing that makes that difficult, though, is it's if your guy gets taken, it does it does seem like this is not the year to try and trade down. If no one wants what uh, guys are available at the top of the draft, it seems like it'd be really difficult 
to trade down and so like you you do you can end up in a in a lose a losing scenario from that position yeah i think you can like you said it's going to be tough to trade down but uh kind of on the the other side of that if you really like one of these point guards let's say the, the pistons land at number seven and they want to move up to five to, to get over charlotte or something like that you could probably move up a couple spots pretty easily so if you really zero in on a certain guy if it's a, a halliburton or hayes or Cole Anthony or, or Mannion, whoever it is, if you really zero in on a guy, I would encourage the uh, the front office to, if they really like a guy, go get him, whoever it is, uh, especially of all these point guards. So yeah, there, there's plenty of them and you can maybe settle for your second or third guy on your list. But if the, the flip side of that is it maybe it wouldn't be too costly to move up a couple spots if you really like a guy. No, that, that's, that's a great point. So we, we talked about who I liked. Who, who do you like in this year's draft, Matt? Yeah, I'm with you on Killian Hayes. Like I said, a little bit less so on Halliburton. Um, I'll, I'm going to need to, to soul search a little bit more on LaMelo ball. Uh, certainly it'd be something that would, uh, put the Pistons into a little bit more of a spotlight than they have been in the past. Oh, I don't know, 10, 12 years. So that would be an interesting uh, development for the team for sure. Um, you know, you know, you end up getting the first pick in the draft. Most places are talking about Anthony Edwards being the consensus there and you see the talent. Of course, if you're a Michigan state fan, you saw the talent earlier this year in, uh, in close and personal. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, so yeah, and, and you can see a lot of reasons why you would do that. Uh, Kong Wu and, and, and Wiseman again, two big guys, but, uh, the draft people really like a Kong Wu. I, I haven't watched a, a lot of USC or any USC to be honest. So, uh, that's someone who I really want to put some eyes on, but apparently a guy who can do a lot of things that, uh, modern bigs are asked to do. So certainly a guy, and then you got, you know, Evdia from, from, uh, Israel, who's, a big question mark is someone who's young and, and has been filling it up at six foot nine in kind of a weak wing class. Certainly the Pistons could use more wings, no doubt about that. So, uh, and then you got the Washington guys, right? Um, you got Isaiah Stewart, you got Jaden McDaniels as a, a couple of freshman dynamic players there up in Washington. Um, I do like Obi Toppin as well. I know I'm just naming a bunch of guys that I, that I kind of like. And, and that's kind of my point is that when you get past the top three, there's just a whole bunch of guys that you that you really kind of like, and uh, I'd throw Obi Toppin in there as probably you know one of the more accomplished college players. Uh, I talked to Ibby Watson, who plays with him down there, the Michigan transfer who who went to Dayton, and they're having an outstanding season there. And uh, everyone's talking about them making possibly a Final Four run. Uh, and then Isaac Okoro is a guy who obviously is probably the most uh, upside defensively in this draft. Is kind of the the, the Matisse Thibault of this draft is kind of a, a slam dunk defensive player who can develop possibly offensively as the years go on. And, uh, you know, we love that here in Detroit Pistons land. So, my, you know, my biggest takeaway is there's guys out there and, and uh, you don't have to be the, the number three pick in the draft to end up with someone that you can be pretty excited about. I know we kind of do this every year where we, we trash the draft kind of early in the college season because we watch college basketball games. are like, wow, this is a really ugly product and it's really tough to watch this. But then you you talk you talk yourself into individuals as time goes on. So uh, yeah, I like uh, I, I'm with you on Killian Hayes. A little bit less so on Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, I would be intrigued at looking at Anthony Edwards in the top of the draft. He's a guy who could score the ball at the NBA level really well. And um, but at the same time, uh, you know, for all the the talk that we have had about this front office, uh, positively and negatively over these last couple of years, they've drafted pretty well. And uh, I would trust that uh, Ed Stefanski and those guys know what they want to do with that pick. 
and uh, would put a little faith in them that especially at the point guard position that they've uh, done the work and uh, will believe in the guy that they end up with on draft night. Yeah, absolutely. They've uh, they've set themselves up well to to uh, do this rebuild in the future, and the draft is definitely a big part of that. Uh, I was talking on last week's Detroit Bad Boys podcast about how you know the Pistons expect Kyrie Thomas to return to the lineup in the not too distant future. I believe he's going to play some G League games uh, this week, and I was saying that you know it feels really greedy to get you know three rotation players out of the back half of the second round of a single draft, but like that is entirely in play. If Kyrie Thomas uh, proves to be anything um, for the Pistons in the future. And so, you know, we, we have to give definitely a level of credit to the front office in their ability to scout and develop these guys. Yeah. And, and, but that, you know, that's always a really good draft a couple of years back. And, and we know that uh, picks in the forties were being compared to picks in the twenties in a normal year. And then that all kind of played out how, it was said to have been played out. It turned into a pretty good class. Whereas this past draft, you know, everyone knew it was top heavy with, with Zion and Ja. And then there was a big step back down after that. We all kind of were saying that going into the draft and that so far, you don't want to write off an entire rookie class, but there's not a lot of good players in this rookie class right now. So it's kind of proven to be true. So, uh, and if this draft is maybe a little bit better in the, uh, the three through the 15 range, than last year's draft, uh, you could probably uh, kind of take that to the bank in some ways that you might be able to get some some pretty good players. But of course, that upside of one and two not being anywhere near this uh, this past draft was. Yeah, and you know when you think about like why this draft is perhaps weaker at one and two than previous years, it's because we haven't seen a, a lot of the guys that we thought would be at the top of the glass. Right, we've yeah. seen a lot of Anthony Edwards, but uh, that Georgia team has really struggled. Um, and so he's fallen into some bad habits, habits that uh, you believe good coaching could erase uh, in the at the NBA level. But like he's the only offensive talent they have on that team and he's played like it. And that's not necessarily a good thing. Uh, you know, LaMelo Ball, we talked a little bit about him and kind of him being the wild card of this year's draft. Um, and he got hurt in Australia and being in Australia makes you a little bit, you know, inaccessible to the general American public as far as uh as far as like what you're what you're looking like on a day-to-day basis. And so like he he was kind of removed. You know, RJ Hampton uh in you know less famous than LaMelo but also down in Australia, same thing for him. You know, James Wiseman ran into the trouble with the NCAA, only played I believe three college games in his uh NCAA career. Haven't gotten a great look at that guy. You know, he's a guy who had he chosen to stay in school, you know, we would we would know more about him going into this year's draft. And so we can have a discussion about how you and I are perhaps low on him, but, you know, he would have had a chance to, to shut us up, you know, had he played, but, you know, now it's a giant question mark. And you, you look at, you know, uh, a Cole Anthony, right? A Cole Anthony was talked about as perhaps a, a guy challenging for the number one pick in the issues draft, you know, also went through some injuries, also struggled with a North Carolina team that uh, my coworkers were telling you has just been really awful this mm-hmm, year. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, his stock has fallen accordingly, but perhaps, you know, there's still a really good garden there. And so, like, yes, there is the potential for maybe this this class to be better than we think it is. But right now, it's just a lot of mystery. And that that's not what you want going into a draft. No, absolutely. And maybe that has the guys like Okongwu. And like I said, you know, I expect Obi Toppin to have 
one of those March Madness tournaments that people are going to be looking at. And Dayton's going to be coming in there. Uh, they're going to be kind of America's darling, right? A mid-major that uh, comes in highly ranked and everyone's picked to the final four. So I expect a guy like that to get a lot of gas come March. But uh, yeah, like you said, there's not going to be that those those March risers like we remember year in and year out that uh, here's a guy who had a great NCAA tournament and showed off and, and really rose up the boards. And like you said, there's all sorts of guys overseas that American basketball fans aren't familiar with. And then some of the guys that are at college programs like Cole Anthony and James Wiseman and, the, and even Anthony Edwards, like you said, that, that's that's a projection pick. I mean, that's someone you hope in two, three, four years becomes that that great score that he has the tools to become. So, yeah, a lot of unknowns and it's going to make for like I said, I, I have a lot of respect for the, the people who are making mock drafts that are just shuffled a lot differently than the ones you see. Uh, as far as the consensus as time goes on. And I think this is one of those years where I would accept those kind of uh, wild projections of saying, you know what, I really like Obi Toppin. I think he should be the second pick of the draft. Whereas, you know, you could have him as low as 15 or even into the bottom part of the first round if you think he's just a a very good college player. So I think there should be some variance in the mock drafts this year. And uh, we'll see what what the experts think as it gets closer. We, We will definitely see. All right, Matt, the, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about tonight was Christian Wood. You know, Christian Wood is obviously going to be featured a lot more uh, heavily in the offense. He's got a lot more opportunity this season. Uh, we had a very good piece from James Edwards at The Athletic today about like what his future value to this team might be. He's an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year. Uh, James kind of came at a number that was around like $10 million a year does that number sound right to you and in, in your evaluation of christian wood yeah i'm gonna go a little bit slightly higher than that i know that most people are talking about numbers that are a little bit lower than that and the reason that i'm gonna go slightly higher than that is because you know you've got all teams that are going to be capped out this year right so uh the pistons are one of you know six teams that have a meaningful amount of cap space going on the summer but you also have all these teams that are that are full up to the cap that want to improve their teams somehow so they'll have the mid-level exception out there. And I think that's uh, projected to be $9.7 million escalating up that teams can offer uh, free agents that they can go over the cap to sign. So Christian Wood's going to be one of those guys as an unrestricted free agent who can go out there on the open market and command one of those offers. So the, if you're talking about three years, $30 million, if you got 9.7 and it escalates up and up as time goes on, I don't have the chart in front of me right now, but I'm guessing off the top of my head that, that you, they could offer something like three years, 32, 33 million dollars for and, or two years to four years. So they can uh, kind of mess around in that range. And if you're the Pistons, maybe you got to pay the we're pretty bad tax a little bit there in free agency and go over the, the Stan Van Gundy special. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you don't want to pay the Stan Van Gundy special maybe, but uh, but the yeah, we haven't won a playoff game since 2008 tax. And so, yeah, we gave you your first opportunity to play real NBA minutes, but we do kind of got to reward you and pay a little bit of the Detroit Pistons tax. So I could see something like three years, $35 million. And again, obviously, we're, we're kind of uh, picking at nits a little bit there at three years, 35 compared to three years, 30. But the Pistons, what's interesting about that is if they were up against the cap, if they didn't make the Andre Drummond deal and wanted to use what little cap space would have been left over to make one of these deals to acquire an asset uh, for someone using that cap space, uh, they would have been boxed into only being able to offer Christian Wood uh, using his early bird rights, which means that they would have been only able to pay 105% of the average player salary 
in the NBA, which Vincelis reported. I didn't know where he found this, but Vincelis reported that that would be something like $9.7 million. So really right at that mid-level exception. So they would have been uh, basically offering Christian Wood the same kind of contract that teams that were up against the cap would have been offering. But now that the Pistons have this cap space, they can instead use the cap space to offer him a more sizable deal if they want to go up to $11, $12 million a season. So really, if you look at it, the trade of Andre Drummond and getting that cap space available may have been the reason that ultimately Christian Wood stays in Detroit for another few years. So that's kind of a, a positive way of looking at the Drummond deal for those of us that maybe weren't really excited about the the fact that they made the Drummond trade when they did as opposed to maybe a year earlier or maybe even a few months later this summer. So uh, you got to give a little bit of the front office credit to that, especially if that's how it plays out this summer. Yeah, opening up cap space does offer a lot more flexibility in what you can and can't offer uh, guys on the open market. That is definitely good. Um, I wonder if perhaps the Pistons can uh, do a lot of what Stan Van Gundy like should have done and offer a longer deal for less money instead of a, a short, a long-term deal and, and big money. I wonder if, if Christian Wood is looking at offers in like the three years, $30 million range, three years, 35 million. I wonder what a, a four year, like $38 million deal gets you. I wonder what a four years, exactly four years, $40 million. So, you know, no, no cap rises, no, uh, no 8% raises over the course of the of the contract or anything, but you do get that extra fourth year. Maybe you throw in a player option as a way to, so he can get back on the open market if he feels like uh, he's he's worth more than that in three years' time. But, you know, four years, uh, Christian Wood's already 24 years old. That would, you know, secure the rest of essentially his athletic prime uh, for you as, as the Detroit Pistons. And that's something you'd be interested in because Wood is a guy who – really leverages his athleticism and and skill to make plays. And so like blocking that guy in at a number that's not necessarily unreasonable for a uh for a guy who's like your your sixth man or even a starting level big man for a guy for a team that projects to be as bad as the Pistons are going to be uh in the next couple of seasons, like that to me holds some interest. So longer years, maybe a little bit less money. How's that sound, Matt? Yeah, it sounds great. And how about this too? In addition, you, most NBA contracts escalate over time and some of them stay stay flat. But what you don't see very often is de-escalating salaries. And you can't do too much. You can't just say, oh, we're going to give you a $30 million contract over three years and give you 25 in year one. That's illegal. But you can uh, get it down to like 2% or maybe 5% per year. So you can, you can do like a 11, 10, 9 over those three years, which you don't see very often in the NBA, but the Pistons might be in a unique position to be able to do something like that with their cap space this year. And then that will kind of uh, make things loosen up in the coming years when they uh, theoretically will start to want to add pieces and maybe use that cap space to bring on the, the, uh, the, 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 the pieces that you want to add as you get better, you know, keep adding veterans, adding bench players, the things that uh, Stan Van Gundy tried to do with John Luer and Langston Galloway and Ish Smith, kind of the, the next pieces of the puzzle with that young core that was supposed to take this, uh, this franchise to the next level four or five years ago. Yeah, Pistons fans will remember infamously that uh, John Luer's contract did in fact decrease over the life of its deal. Mm-hmm. Not that much, but, uh, 
but it did. And then it decreased a lot even more when the uh, Bucks stretched him out. Now he's getting about $3 million this year and for the next two, but must be nice, right? I mean, I don't know where John Lure is these days, but I'm pretty sure that's a pretty good deal to hang out and uh, pocket $3 million for the next couple of years. Not to mention the $5 million that the Pistons are paying to one Josh Smith that uh, I know, I don't know if you've got uh, your party planned for the end of the Josh Smith contract, but uh, we should be looking forward to something special uh, for those days ahead uh, with our podcast. Maybe we can do like a, a big group podcast celebration or something like that. And uh, maybe we'll get Josh Smith on the line. We'll try that too. I'm, he's not busy right now. I'm sure he'd be available to available. do something like that. Very available. All right, Matt, this has been a fun conversation. We're definitely going to have to do this again sometime. For but sure. uh, let the people know where they can find you, where they can find your work. Yeah, the Locked on Pistons podcast. Uh, anywhere you get podcasts, if you're listening to this, you can probably figure it out. But uh, we do it uh, 20 to 30 minutes daily, Monday through Friday. I'll skip a, a holiday every now and then. But uh, give me a follow on Twitter, Matt underscore Shook, S-C-H-O-C-H. Another underscore after that. And uh, that's where all the work is. It's uh, it's AP. It's the Detroit News. I'm writing for PlayMichigan.com as well. And I wanted to give a special plug to the movie that we made. Uh, we released it about a month ago now. It's called Ipsy's Amani. It's a 20-minute documentary about Amani Bates of Ypsilanti Lincoln. It's my pinned tweet on my Twitter profile. That's the best place to find it. It's free to watch on Vimeo. If you don't know Amani yet, you need to get familiar with him. He was trending on Twitter last night after dropping 63 in a double overtime game against uh, Chelsea, I believe. And uh, so check him out. Check out that movie and uh, tell your friends because we want to get as many people to get eyes on that as possible because we're proud of how that turned out. You you guys did an excellent job with that. And my hope is that uh, that just becomes one more uh, prescient look into the long and storied uh, Spartan career of Amani Bates. Yeah, I'm sure he'll be a four-year guy there in East Lansing. He'll probably <laughs> win Tom Izzo his uh, third, fourth, and fifth championships if he gets it done this year, presuming as well. So, yeah, uh, I'm sure he'll be up in the rafters of Breslin in no time. Oh, man, my heart can only take so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I know that uh, – I, I don't know. I, I'm still probably putting the Spartans in my Final Four this year. I'm just not ever going to discount a Tom Izzo team – I've learned it too many times. I know it's uh, it's shaky and certainly is shaky right now, but uh, I still believe in them. I don't know. I I believe because I have no choice but to. <laughs> I don't I don't really get I don't really get a say in the matter. But uh, you to to watch me tear out my what little what little hair I have on my head in real time over the Spartans' inability to win a road game or even start a road game with any efficiency, you can do so on Twitter at last chance that's at l-a-z-c-h-a-n-c-e i also host the detroit bad boys podcast the podcast for detroit bad boys the sb nation's uh detroit pistons fan site you can find that the same place you find locked on pistons and pistons versus everybody all right well this has been pistons versus everybody thanks again matt and we will talk to you guys later